of our children uh, through fifth grade to be dismissed now. Unless you want to stay and listen to my sermon. Let us pray together. Dear God, we come together this morning seeking to find hope in your word. We come together uh, in community seeking to listen for a fresh word from your Holy Spirit. And I pray that if there's anything I say this morning that has not been inspired by your Holy Spirit, that it would soon be forgotten, and if need be, forgiven. But that everything else that comes from your Spirit would go to our hearts and be lived out in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In our gospel reading today, the followers of Jesus are mesmerized by the splendor of the Temple Mount stretched out before them. A Temple Mount so large that uh, it is about the size of 25 football fields today. They marvel at the towering sanctuary rising above the inner wall, the inner balustrade, and and the outer colonnades of precious marble. They're amazed by all the astonishing stones. Some of the stones in the temple foundation, believe it or not, are 39 feet long and 13 feet wide. They're that large. And while they are amazed by all these marvelous sights, Jesus sees something else, though. He sees an institution that has forgotten God's purposes and forsaken God's mission. They see splendor. Jesus sees corruption. They see magnificence. And Jesus sees human pretension. And so in our text this morning, Jesus warns that a day is coming when all of these beautiful stones will come tumbling down. A day when nation will rise up against nation and there will be earthquakes and and famines and plagues and dreadful portents and great signs from above. And 2,000 years later, sometimes it seems like Jesus is pretty much describing the world that we live in. Dreadful portents? How about superstorm high-ends devastation of the Philippines? With global warming predicted to bring even larger storms than Haiyan and Katrina in the future. Plagues? How about Japan's failed 
nuclear reactor spewing contaminated water by the ton into the earth and into the ocean. Great signs from above. How about American drones raining down death and terror to villages half a world away? Wars and rumors of war? How about the thousands dying in civil unrest in Sudan, Nigeria, Syria, Iraq, Pakistan, and Afghanistan? And persecution? How about the dozens of churches recently burned and looted in Egypt? But who of us can bear the despair that might come in looking into the future to which we seem to be, sometimes to be heading. A future of unsustainable consumption, overpopulation, growing hunger, and toxic pollution. Who can bear the despair of looking into that future? And so our culture often turns instead to denial and a daily diet of breathless updates about reality shows and head-bashing gladiator contests, sometimes known as football games. (laughs) Stories about the latest, latest outrageousness of Miley Cyrus and details about whatever is trending or people are tweeting about. The writer Chris Hedges compares our times to Rome's last days when everyone was captivated with spectacle and gladiator fights with bread and circus while the empire crumbled around them. Who of us didn't go and watch the Hunger Games movie with its capital citizens mesmerized by glitzy display and staged violence, and not feel a disturbing sense of deja vu. Like we were looking into the mirror of our own culture. But you didn't come here just for bad news. And there's always good news. And I believe that today in our passage... Jesus charts a path for us between both the despair and the denial of our age. Undergirding his words today, I believe, is a call to hope-filled living. Trusting in God in the midst of what seem like impossible circumstances when intact, for being one of his followers, he tells us, do not be terrified. He promises to be with us and to give us the words and the wisdom that we need. By your endurance, he tells us, you will gain your souls. By your endurance, your faithful living, you will gain your souls. Christian hope, it's been said, is the persistent, enduring, and trusting expectation that God's will shall be done. And again and again, the Bible holds forth 
this audacious claim that the future future destiny of our whole universe is the coming kingdom of God. The day is coming when all the kingdoms of this world will finally become the kingdom of our Lord. In our reading today from Isaiah 65, heralds this reality. God's promise of creating a new heaven and a new earth. God's promise that infant mortality and premature death. And I think about the early death of my own brother this past week at 46. All these things will come to an end. God's promise that the horrors of war and oppression, of some planting and others eating, of some building and others living in these buildings, all this will be no more. God's promise that every form of human harm and violence will someday be history. But maybe you're sitting there this morning and and saying, but isn't this just pie-in-the-sky utopianism? I mean, isn't this exactly the kind of magical thinking that allows many of us American Christians to ignore our neighbor's suffering, to keep on trashing the planet all the while while saying that in the end, God will take care of everything? Isn't this the blind hope, this kind of blind hope, one of the main reasons for our global problems today? Dear friends, Christian hope without costly discipleship and faithful action in the world is indeed dangerous. It has nothing to do with the cross-shaped enduring to which Jesus calls us today. And it has everything to do with the lazy kind of idleness that is so strongly condemned in our Thessalonians' passage today. We don't live in hope because we are optimists, because we have somehow persuaded ourselves that things aren't actually as bad as they seem. We live in hope because of the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus showed us a God who so loved the world that God was not prepared to leave it in sin and sadness alienated from God's beautiful purposes. The healing and liberating work of Jesus, it's been said, announces announces the inbreaking realm of God where all harm shall one day be healed. And His resurrection is the first fruits of that realm. The beginning of that realm, the sign of eternal life promised to all people. We live in hope 
because we have placed our trust in a loving God who knows how to draw good from evil so wisely and so beautifully. Let me say that again. That's St. John of the Cross, not Todd Friesen. We live in hope because we have placed our trust in a loving God who knows how to draw good from evil so wisely and so beautifully. Brothers and sisters, we hear today in 2 Thessalonians, do not be weary in doing what is right. Authentic Christian hope is rooted in the biblical story of God's remnant people ever living faithfully in the shadow of some empire. Whether the children of Israel and the empire of Egypt, whether the exiles out in exile in Babylon, or the early church living under Rome. Every one of these empires ended up falling. And the one in which we now live, our American empire of global consumerism, sometimes called McWorld, defended by 700 military bases overseas, will surely someday fall as well. And so we pledge our allegiance to God alone. And we seek to live in the present now according to God's coming future. Especially when God's new future cannot be seen and especially when it seems especially unbelievable. We live in the present according to God's future whenever we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. We live into God's future whenever we not only share our resources with the poor, but we also ask, why are they poor? Why are their food stamps being cut? Why cannot they not receive adequate medical care? We bring together loving kindness and doing justice, which come from Micah 6.8, which will be our memory verse for this coming year. And here's the beautiful thing. As our lives begin to align with what God is doing in the world or wants to do, we bring hope to others as well. You know, I felt that reality last uh, Monday night as we gathered uh, with our neighbors for the community meal. And before entering. You may remember last Monday was already a really cold night and I stood out there on East Chestnut and and looked in. I sent you a picture of this, of our, our windows glowing with light and love. And later on 
inside, I spoke with a woman who had spent the previous night sleeping out in that cold in her car. And I heard other stories about people who didn't have enough heat or had no heat at all. And I I caught this vision of the hope that we can bring to our neighbors every week. Especially those who maybe are right near to giving up through our simple gifts of warm food and warm company. That was giving hope. My own family was also on the receiving end of receiving hope a couple weeks ago when we were gathered with my brother uh, in Elkhart, Indiana. On one of the nights, his home congregation, Southside Fellowship, had a prayer vigil uh, at the hospice center where my brother was. It was on a Tuesday night, and he was especially lucid. So when they came out, it was on the first floor. When they came, around 40 people outside his window and gathered there, we turned his bed so that he could look out at them, and we opened a window so that they could hear him. He could hear them singing and praying. The assurance of their love and the reminder of our eternal hope, his destiny in God was a great assurance, a great hope to us. And it was not only a hope to us, but it had a profound witness on the whole hospice center. The staff, for days after that, marveled at who is this man who has these people who come and sing outside his window. They'd never seen or heard anything like that before. We do indeed bring hope to others as our work aligns with what God is doing in our world. Let me close by saying that in my experience, living in hope is absolutely nothing that I can ever do on my own. It's only something that I can do in community with you. We need together the power of the Holy Spirit. We need together the memory of God's saving story in the Bible. And we need together the mutual support and challenge that we have here in this community. You know, three years ago in Chile, 33 miners were trapped 2,300 feet below the surface after a cave-in closed down all their exits back up to the surface. And for two months, 69 days actually, they waited down there as a shaft, the width of a bicycle wheel, was slowly drilled down to go rescue them. And this past week I learned that up above, 
in that very, very desolate part of Chile, the family and friends of those miners gathered together and created a new village called Camp Hope. And they sent down food and light and letters. They even sent down a copy of the New Testament for each of those 33 miners. They gave hope to the folks down below and the folks up on the surface. And they helped each other to endure when they were just tempted to give up. I like to think of East Chestnut as our camp hope. Supporting each other, praying for each other, letting God's hope flow through each of us and out into the world, reminding each other that though the future of this world often seems so dark, we love and serve a God who knows how to draw good from evil so wisely and so beautifully. God drawing good from evil, beauty from brokenness, is the story of the children of Israel. It's the story of Jesus' life and cross. It's the story of the church. It's certainly my story. And I'm quite sure it's yours as well. This is our hope. God is our hope. Amen.